Let's go to Acts chapter 17. Let's pray first. We'll pray uh, for the student ministry room and we're going to pray also after we read scripture. Father God, we come to you and we pray because there's nowhere else that we can turn. Father, when we want to accomplish something that seems um, out of our realm of possibility, we realize that you can do all things, that you desire and you long to do the things that uh, seem impossible for mankind so that that we will not take any of the praise. We will not take any of the glory. It will be all given to you. And so, Father, as we grow as a church, which is um, a very wonderful thing that you've allowed us to do, um, we ask, dear Father, that you would help us in, in our plans, that we would not move out ahead of you nor lag behind. And so we ask that you would help us to uh, build this building out for our uh, student ministries, for our high schoolers and junior hires. And that, Father, that uh, it'll be a place where it's a kind of a sanctuary for them to come, that they can uh, get lost in this world in which they live and, and find themselves uh, close to you, in love with you, uh, living for you the rest of their days. And so, Father, it's an important time in the life of our young people. May we be... Um, a part of it, Father, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want you to notice something as we read to this place in Scripture. Um, number one is, in the 17th chapter, as is in the 16th chapter, persecution only pushes the church out further. Those that tried to trouble Paul or Silas or Timothy or Peter, they thought that they were stopping what was happening in this religious movement, so to speak, of Christ. And they couldn't. All they were doing was setting the boundaries out further and further. And what we're going to see is the courage, the enthusiasm, the, the uh, ability of Paul to not stop. Nothing was going to stop Paul from preaching the gospel. Nobody, nothing was going to stop him. And I, I, uh, I must admit to you, I, I love Paul because of that. Um, I would like to, to be like Paul. I would love to be a man that nothing would stop me from preaching the gospel. Now, I've had a chance to experience that just recently. And um, true to form, I, I didn't stop. Um, but it was because of, of, of wonderful people around me. It wasn't because of me. Um, it was because of really wonderful people. Paul is, um, he's just amazing. He goes to Philippi and, and, and they, they kick him out of there and he goes to Thessalonica and they kick him out of there and so he goes to Berea as we're going to see today and they're going to kick him out of there. And he ends up in, in Athens. Ends up in Greece, Jimmy. I don't blame him, huh? It must have been beautiful. But it was a place that was decadent in its day. And Paul could not stand idle in that community. And what we're going to study today in chapter 17 from verses uh, 10 to about 21 is the beginning of this message that he is going to give in Athens. It is perhaps one of the greatest messages ever proclaimed to a people who desperately needed to know the Savior. And so God continues to use Paul. And when Paul comes, as we're going to read in a moment, to Berea, 
he comes upon some very special people. People who are enthralled by the Word of God. People who long to learn. If you look at verse 11, and we'll read it all in a moment, but verse 11 is the key verse. It says, They received the Word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily, to see if these things, and these things meaning the things that Paul and Silas were teaching, to see if these things were so. Instead of hurling attacks at Paul and Silas, these folks in Berea listened to him eagerly. Instead of forming a mob to do them harm, they searched the scriptures daily to confirm, to see the things that Paul and Silas were saying, were they true or were they not true? And that's all any teacher of the Word of God can ever ask, is that you hold the teacher's feet to the fire so that he does not stray from the Word of God. And then you examine to see the things that are being taught, if they are true or if they are not true. That's all that any teacher could ever ask. Read with me, please this brilliant place that leads up to one of the greatest messages in all of Scripture. From verse 10 to verse 21. It says, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they had arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. Verse 11, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. For they received the word with great eagerness examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, along with a number of the prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the Word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea, they came there likewise, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, And Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Verse 16, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers were conversing with Paul. Some of them were saying, What would this idle babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because Paul was preaching Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Verse 19 says, They took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. We want to know, therefore, what these things mean. It says in verse 21, Now all the uh, Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. In other words, they were idle. They loved to argue over what is new, if it's true or not. And Paul got in the midst of that. 
What you'll notice about Paul is that even though he was alone in Athens, he would not sit idle. He could not stand it. In verse 16, it says that he was provoked. That's a strong Greek word. That word means that he was infuriated. Infuriated that the city was full of idols. He wanted them to know the one true God. And as we're going to see next week, from verses 22 to 34, and I would encourage you to read it, he gives them a message of messages as he proclaims the one true living creator of this earth, Jesus Christ. But let's pray about this verse and let's talk about what we kind of just read this morning. Father, please open up our eyes. Open up our hearts and our minds and our thoughts that we might behold wonderful things from your law, your word. Father, it is your word that we, uh, we have the privilege of studying and, and understanding the best we know how. Would you, Father, move us, teach us, help each of us to comprehend what you wish for us to know today. Move us along this path that we call our walk with you. Move us along this path that is enlightened by your word. Move us along this path that we might grow and therefore be equipped so that we might equip others so that they too might walk this wonderful path called our faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, um, would you please move me aside? Um, Being, Father... uh, that we might fall in love with you rather than a speaker. Being, Father, that we might find our faith and our trust in you rather than in a church or a denomination. So that when the difficulties may come our way, our trust and our hope would be grounded in you. And for you who never changes, then, Father, we will have a hope that lasts forever. And so, Father, let us see your heart, your eyes, your face, your thoughts. We pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I want you to note something immediately. Um, Again, if you look at verse 12, uh, we see the the same thing that is mentioned in verse 5. In verse 5 of this chapter, it says, uh, well, no, excuse me. In, In verse 12, it talks about the prominent Greek women. It says that uh, uh, many therefore believed along with a number of the prominent Greek women. I made made the statement to you last week and I don't want us to make a mistake about it. The church is built upon the heart and the soul of prominent women in those days. Yes, of course the men. But the women had a great part. Men, let's face it, We'd be lost without the ladies that God has brought to this church. They're just special. They always have been. They always will be. But I don't want you to miss another fact. In verse 10, when it mentions that the brethren in Thessalonica helped Paul and Silas, it says that the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. You need to remember that that Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica and they started leading people to Jesus Christ. They were there just a short while. 
these brethren that helped Paul and Silas flee were new converts to the faith. But immediately they become they became involved in what they believed in. Paul writes, you don't need to turn there, but it's you look at it later, it's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Paul basically tells us there is no excuse. It says, you were formerly darkness. But now, in other words, but now that you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are light in the Lord. Therefore, he says, walk as children of light. There is no excuse for those of us who are young in our faith to say, well, I don't know enough. I, I can't do anything. That, that, is, that is a lie from the very pit of hell itself. The moment you and I come to Christ, we become equipped to some degree. And we can use whatever it is that we have for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, even though they were terribly young in their faith, they put their lives, they put their jobs, they put their reputations at risk for the cause of Jesus Christ and to help those who were his messengers, in this case, Paul and Silas. It was these courageous folks. Now I would love for you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Please turn there. Hold your place here. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It was these courageous folks that Paul wrote about in 1 Thessalonians. In verse chapter 1, verse 7, he says, You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. He says in verse 8, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Now, that's interesting Paul went and spoke to other communities because they protected him. But he is saying to them, because of you, the Lord has sounded forth the word. Not only, he says in verse 8, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. In other words, Paul is saying, because of you, we've gone and preached the gospel. Because of you, the word of God has gone forth, and you, your reputation, is marvelous across this world. It says in verse 9, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Folks, may that be our testimony. May that be the testimony of the Rock Community Church. That we would be a people that its reputation would go far and wide and that it would be heard about in the communities around the area. That there is a church there that have people that are filled with the love of Jesus Christ and how we have turned to God from other places and other things. One of the great joys of my life, being here and doing what I do, is seeing people come to Christ and watching their growth. I get that opportunity. I get that privilege. Last night, a couple came to me. And they, after I got through with the message, same, basically the same thing I'm saying right now. They walked up here and they gave me a hug. And they, Do you remember us? And I said, yeah, I remember your faces. I'm, it's been a while since I've seen you. Yeah, they said, two years ago you married us. But we had to move out of the community. We now live in Nevada. And they said, but we're walking with Jesus Christ every day. And then they said something that 
was very kind because of what you taught me. And I said to them, no, it's because what the Lord taught you from the Word of God. You're walking with Him. Continue to walk that way. Other people I've met here, people that I've watched grow, you can see grow. You can see growth in their lives. All of a sudden, they go from a person that, that had no desire to, to be in a church to all of a sudden come to church to all of a sudden don't want to miss church to all of a sudden be involved. I've watched men, I've watched women grow in their faith. It's one of the greatest privileges we have at church to see people grow in their faith. And so the reputation of this church that that, that Paul spoke of in Thessalonica resounded through the communities because of their protection of him and Silas. Now when Paul went to Berea, he found there a very special place. He found there a people who desired to hear the word of God. They were, as it says in verse 11, open-minded. In other words, they were willing to be taught. They were eager to listen. They were ready to learn whatever it is that Paul and Silas wanted to teach them. And most importantly to me, they were scripture and truth searchers. In other words, they didn't take everything that Paul said. They didn't take everything that Silas said for granted as gospel. But they searched the scriptures to see if what they were teaching was true or not. That's all we can ask of you. God forbid that you would take anything and everything that I say as truth. You need to make sure that what is being said is being presented out of the Word of God. This is what verifies what is truth. We're always to compare what we hear or what we read with what the Bible says. You can't just listen to some preacher on some television station and, and, and because he's says that they maybe put a doctor before his name or pastor before his name. You can't say that everything he is telling you is true. You've got to examine. And any serious teacher of the Word of God will want to always verify what they are teaching by the Word of God. This scripture always verifies itself. And so you and I need to be that type of people. We just don't listen clumsily to anything and everything that is taught us, but we we examine the Scriptures to see if what is being taught is true or not. And so what began in verse 13 as a wonderful situation for Paul and Silas in Berea didn't last. The Berean Jews did not trouble them, but trouble followed them from Thessalonica. If you'll note in verse 13 it says, When the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God has been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there. They came there from Thessalonica, agitating and stirring up the crowds. How ugly and how consuming is the sin of jealousy. Look back at verse 5. I said to you this last week. The Jews could not refute the fact that Jesus Christ lived. They could not refute the fact of the things that he said. They could not refute the fact that he was nailed to a cross and died. They could not refute the fact that he rose from the dead to prove that he was their Messiah. 
So instead of trying to refute that, they just got angry and tried to stop the message. And the reason they did is it says in verse 5, they became jealous. Jealousy. It's an all-consuming sin. Jealousy never really builds anything itself. It, It does a great job, though, at destroying and tearing things down or trying to block what is being done for the cause of Christ. And that which they envied in the work of others, in this case, in the work of Paul and Silas, they ended up attacking the very movement of God through these men. In verses 14 and 15, because of their persecution, because of their coming from Thessalonica, stirring up and agitating the people in Berea, the people in Berea, the new young believers now in Berea, took Paul by the the night and instructed him to go to Athens. And so they, they sent him to Athens, this time without Paul, excuse me, without Silas and without Timothy. It says in verses 14 and 15, Immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea. In other words, to go to Athens. Silas and Timothy remained there in Berea. And now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens and they received a command from him. He wanted Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible. And they left with those words. Now we come to perhaps one of the great places in all of Scripture. Starting with verse 16 to the end of this chapter, Paul now is in Athens. And Paul's spirit, we are told in verse 16, is moved within him. He looks around the city and he sees all of these idols, all of these gods, all of this nonsense within the community there. The city, the Bible says in verse 16, is full of idolatry. And I'll I'll show you why in a moment. Verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, he was waiting for Silas and Timothy to come. He's in Athens. In verse 16 it says, His spirit was being provoked within him as he observed the city full of idols. The word provoked in verse 16 is an extremely strong Greek word. It's P-A-R-O-X-U-N-O. It means to become infuriated. He is He is angry to a point of boiling. Paul hated idolatry. And why? Because idolatry robbed God of His glory. And Paul would have nothing of that. I want you to look with me just a few pages to the right to Romans chapter 1. Please turn to Romans chapter 1. Critical place in the Word of God. Absolutely critical. Paul wrote these words. And this is why Paul so hated anything that was an idol, anything that was idolatry, that moved people away from the one true God. Because he knew the outcome of their lives. He knew that the outcome was hell. And he didn't want one soul to go to hell. And so Paul writes in in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. Folks, there is not a person on the face of this earth that cannot say that there isn't a God. There are people granted that say that this this universe, this world in which we live, began 
well, they can't really come up with a great idea. Best I've ever heard was the Big Bang Theory, right? Boom, big explosion, everything fell into place, and then there was little living things that kind of oozed into the sea and out of the sea, and pop, came a human being. Whoa, how great is that? And and deep, I I believe because of the Word of God, deep within their soul, they know that they're being fools when they say that. That they really cannot back it up. But then they have to trust that in faith that, that it happened that way. And they say that we're fools because we believe by faith that a Creator created everything. So there is the standoff. But what I know and what you know is that God knows that they know better. Because as it said in verse 19 where I just read, that which is known about God is evident within them. Reason being because God made it evident to them. And here's why in verse 20. Because since the creation of this world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature has been clearly, clearly, clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. I say to you with all the boldness I can muster, is that they have no excuses when they say that there is no God, when they say there is no Creator. When in fact, they're without excuse. It goes on to say in verse 21, because they, even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God. Nor did they give Him thanks. They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart became darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for an image in the form of, and this is what so irated Paul in Athens. He looked around the city and he saw they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of, you choose, either a, either man or a bird or a four-footed animal or a crawling creature. It didn't matter. They, they, they turned their attention over from God to this creature that they've created. And then you're going to see some of the saddest words in all of Scripture in verses 24, verse 26, and verse 28. And the words are, Then God gave them over. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse, well, from verses 12, 13, and 14, and 15, in Matthew, in that great, great chapter of Matthew, Jesus Christ is explaining about the traditions of men, and he is saying to the Pharisees that they're lost. The disciples come to Jesus Christ and they said, Do you know that uh, you upset the Pharisees by the things that you said about them? They're, they're upset. And Jesus Christ uttered three of the saddest words in all of Scripture. He said of them, let them alone. They're blind guides leading blind people. God gave them over and let them alone. Folks, you don't ever want to get into that boat. Where God says, enough. I've given you enough light. Now I'll turn you over to whatever degrading passions you have. And as you read in, 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 in Romans chapter 1, verses 24, 20, 25, 6, 7, 8, as it goes on, God continues to give them over. And so that's what so infuriated Paul in Athens 
Paul was was beside himself as he saw all of these idols. As you turn back, please, with me to Acts chapter 17. In its heyday, Athens was the center of culture. These were several centuries before Christ was born. It was in Athens where Socrates taught Plato. And then in return, it was in Athens where Plato taught Aristotle. And Aristotle was perhaps the greatest and most influential philosopher of all time. But also after Aristotle came Epicurus, who was the founder of Epicureanism. And I don't even know, trust me, you know that I studied. I don't know any of this stuff. But then there was a man named Zeno who was the founder of Stoicism. These are the two leading philosophies of that day in Athens. And it was them in verse 18 who, back to uh, Acts chapter 17 and verse 18, some of the Epicureans and some of the Stoic philosophers were conversing with Paul. It was there that these people were trying to reason with Paul the philosophy of life. You see, Athens was the philosophical center of the ancient world. But it was also the home of the world's greatest university of its day. People who loved to think a lot and learn new things, as it says in verse 21. They wanted to talk about anything and everything that was new. On top of all of that, Athens was the very religious center of the world. Almost every god in existence was worshipped there in Athens. It was a very liberal, very liberal place. And Paul saw Athens as a city lost, full of people who were lost and doomed to hell apart from Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as when Jesus Christ walked through Jerusalem and was moved to tears and to anger, Likewise, Paul's heart was stirred to a holy anger which brought forth one of the greatest messages ever written within Scripture and that is in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 34. And we'll see more about that next week. In my study this week, I came across a a message that was given by Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of his day. He gave this message, it is written on January the 7th, 1855. 1855, over 150 years ago now. He said these words, It has been said that the proper study of mankind is man. He says, I won't oppose that idea. But he preached, I also believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect children of God, is God and the Godhead. He says, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the Midas... I can't read this without crying because I can't utter the same words as Spurgeon utters. It's hard. It was like when I was playing baseball. One day we had we were, we were spring training, Jimmy. Maybe you were at the game. We were spring training and we were taking, we were supposed to take batting practice. In the last five minutes, we were playing the Braves. In the last five minutes, Aaron was hitting. And I mean, I've never seen so many ropes hit in my life. I mean, rope, rope, rope. Baby's just wearing it out. And then the buzzer, you know, they ring the bell and when the next team gets to hit. So it says, you know, you know, they're off the field and now we hit. And always the, 
the Scrubinis, the, the, the guys that weren't going to play hit first. We got five swings in a bunt, and that was it for us today. Then we could sit down. And I always, always, you know, Lee Walls or all the guys would hit first that were veterans, you know. And after Aaron hit, none of them wanted to hit. And they said, go hit, John. <laughs> so I walked in there, and I, not got, I did not get one ball out of the cage. I popped it up, hit it in the ground. I, and there, was, there were reporters all around the thing watching Aaron hit, you know, just ooh and ah. And, and they, they just walked away with disgust after they saw me swing two or three times. <laughs> That's what I feel like when I try to preach Spurgeon's message here. I feel like uh, just so unworthy. He says the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy that ever can be engaged is the, for the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, the existence of the great God whom He, Jesus Christ, calls His Father. He said, would you care to lose your sorrows? Would you care to drown your cares? Then He says, go, plunge yourself into the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in His immensity and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed, and invigorated. He goes on to say, I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of grief and sorrow, so speak peace to the winds of trials than a devout reflection upon the subject of the God of this universe. Although those words were spoken over 150 years ago, there is forcible, there is as strong in this church age in which we live as they ever were. We live in an age of liberalism. We live in an age of man-centered theology. There are churches upon churches upon churches that are built upon the congregation, making the congregation comfortable rather than leading the congregation to God who will in time comfort them. But no, they try to appease those that come to make them feel good so they'll come back next week instead of leading the congregation to the one true God who is the only one that can truly comfort any of us. And so as Paul looked at this city that was filled with false gods and false idols, a church and a people that desperately needed a proper perspective of God a world that was filled with despair, that only Christ and Christianity could offer the message of hope, Paul then proclaims this great news of this Creator who has created everything and who they could know. As you can see, Paul does not remain idle. Woe to him if he wouldn't preach. He... He would have stirred up a group of people to preach to regardless. But this was like a feeding frenzy for Paul. It was a result of the classic confrontation between a man called by God and a city that was drowning in, 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 in Satan's, in, in idols, and in, in worshiping of false gods. And Paul, being a Hellenistic Jew, 
In other words, Paul being exposed to the Greek culture, understood the art, understood the philosophy. He was the perfect, perfect foil to argue them to Jesus Christ. God will always have his perfect person at the perfect place at the perfect time to do his perfect will. That goes for you as it goes for me. God desires to use us. And you you and I cannot use our youth in Christ as an excuse. You and I were once formerly in darkness, but now we are the light of this world. And God wants to use us. Like those people in Thessalonica that Paul wrote about, may our reputation go forth. And may our reputation be centered upon the person of Jesus Christ. And may we walk with him more. May he walk with us. Father, please, move us to a place that, uh, that we never could dream that we could go. I... Uh, I have a feeling that Paul was frightened any time he went into a new place. At least I would have been. But Father, he found his strength in you. May we do the same. Wherever it is that you would want us to go, would we, Father, use our hearts and our souls to defend and live for you. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for his courage. Thank you, Father, that it can encourage us to be all that you've called us to be. Thank you for the challenge of your words, Father. We pray that you will bless us. Bless each father here, each man here today. I pray your blessings upon us all. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I want to tell you something before you go. Guess. Yeah. I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my heart. God bless you. Have a great day. Happy Father's Day, gentlemen.